Welcome to Ragbag. My name's Frank Burton, a.k.a. Lazarus Newman. Let me ask you a question, guys. Have you ever wanted something you can't have? Like, really, really wanted it? To the extent that you would literally trade lives with a person who has that thing, sacrificing everything you are for the sake of your own vulnerable desire? Is that what desire is? Is desire just another form of vulnerability? Welcome to the Envy Edition.
When I was in infant school, something happened one afternoon, which no one else seems to remember. In fact, I've never met another person who was primary school educated in the 1980s who recalls anything like this happening to them. But it did happen. I swear to you, man, the memory is so damned vivid. I could be there now, gazing in wonder at those golf clubs. I said it, yeah, gazing in wonder at those golf clubs. Let's define our terminology first, okay? This is, as you know, an international show. You'll all know the game I'm referring to, but different parts of the world call it different things. You may know it as miniature golf, or mini golf, or even putt-putt. Seriously, why would you call it that? What is wrong with you? Putt-putt. My God. Anyway, around my way, the game is universally known as crazy golf. So that's what I'm calling it. And it is crazy, isn't it? When you think about the game, what it involves. I'm not even using the word crazy in terms of its mental health connotation. I'm using it to highlight the surrealist element to the game. There's something incredibly dreamlike, something Lewis Carroll-esque about playing crazy golf. But that's a digression, because I'm not actually talking about playing crazy golf. I'm talking about not playing crazy golf. Because on that glorious summer's day, sometime towards the end of term, I arrived at school to discover that someone had erected a massive, stylish and elaborate crazy golf course on the sports field covering the space of a whole children's football pitch. My tiny pulse quickened. I was hopping up and down in anticipation of the day me and my classmates had in store for us, only to be told during morning assembly that the junior kids would be spending the afternoon playing crazy golf, while the infant kids stayed inside doing their usual maths and English, all the while watching through the window at a vision of heaven. A heaven you're not allowed into because you're not old enough, because you're not considered competent enough to hit a golf ball straight. I could have totally done that, I told myself. At any rate, I'd be more skillful at it than some of those clueless junior kids. When I was in my 20s, I went to the supermarket with 10 quid to last me until next payday. And I was fine grabbing a basket of the bare essentials, rice, lentils, porridge oats, tomatoes. When I wandered into their music section and there, against all probability, was the new beta band record on vinyl, no less, in Tesco of all places. And it cost £9.99 and I wanted it I really really wanted it and I was reminded of that day back at school because looking at an album cover without being able to listen to the music is very much like watching kids who are slightly older than you play crazy golf from a distance through a classroom window in other words 
you can only imagine what the experience is really like. When I was 14, I saw a model on the cover of a magazine in a newsagent, not nude or anything, tastefully done, and I knew that I wanted someone like that. It wasn't like all those nasty girls at my school. A person who had a brain as well as looks. But even then I knew I was projecting this idealised image onto the woman in the photograph. In actuality, maybe this model was a horrible person. And I felt the same way when I first met Heidi in a coffee shop. She was reading a Murakami novel with an iPod on the go at the same time. And it told me so much about her that she liked the same things as me. Even without hearing what it was she was listening to, I knew it was something with substance, whatever it was. And I wanted her. I really, really wanted her. And what happened with that Beta Band album in Tesco? I'll tell you what happened. I left the shop, I went to the bank and I signed up for a credit card and went back and bought the hell out of that record. I took it home and I ripped its sleeve off and I played it to death and it was worth every single one of those 999 pennies plus God knows how much interest. And what happened with that magazine, with that model on, that I liked the look of at the age of 14? I bought it, I used my bus fare and I walked home. It was a magazine for teenage girls. I made some super awkward comment at the counter like, it's for my sister or something. And the guy at the till gave me a look like, I know your dad, you're an only child. And I know what you're doing with that. And what happened with Heidi in the coffee shop? I did something I wouldn't usually do in those circumstances. I started talking to her and she talked back. And all the while, there was a child inside me going, wait a second, I'm not supposed to be out here with the juniors. I've got a spelling test this afternoon, but someone's given me a club. And you know what? It looks like I can do this. I can hit a ball straight. I can hit a ball straight through the moving arms of a plastic windmill and I'm only seven years old. She was the girl that I'd imagined on the cover of that magazine. The girl who I'd invented in my head as my own private fantasy was sitting in front of me talking about Murakami and travelling to Tokyo and sipping on a black coffee in the same way that I would. But what happens when you get what you want? What happens when someone opens up the gates of heaven for you when it's not your time? You feel as though what you have is not really yours and your guest pass has a firm expiration date. So I'll tell you what happened with me and Heidi later on. Let's play a bit of music first, eh?
been a thousand years since the celestial war and the great races were rendered extinct a thousand years since the establishment of the decladine empire and peace came over pilus but an ancient secret that promises of untold power has broken the alliance and threatens to destroy the realm join our heroes tash grab daryl Get out. I will follow you. Go. Silverpaw. You'll pay for this, Sylvia. Craig. Someone is looking for you. The name Tash. And Bagger. Let's get dangerous. As they uncover dangerous secrets, ancient cities, and race against time, and the Empire itself. To save Pylus. Download the Stranger Lands now before it's too late. Hello, everybody. This is Jason. And Aaron. 
and we are the hosts of the For Better or Worse podcast. Like most couples, we have pretty different tastes. There's a lot of things we agree on, of course, but it can be pretty difficult to find something to watch at the end of the day. She likes comedies, love stories, and dramas. And he likes anime, horror, sci-fi, and fantasy. So we both thought it would be fun to force each other to watch our favorite movies, shows, or anything else we can think of and record it here for you guys. The show is a lot of fun and it's not always torture. Sometimes we actually come around to each other's side. We would love for you guys to give us a shot. So download For Better or Worse anywhere you listen to your favorite shows and join us in the fun. We can't wait to share our experiences with you. Thank you. 
So, I don't know the official linguistic distinction between envy and jealousy, right? I haven't bothered looking it up, but here's my understanding. Envy is what I had 30-something years ago as an infant, watching the junior kids, wishing I was one of them. And you know what happened, by the way, despite this not being an unattainable goal, I was bound to become one of them, whether I wanted to or not. I bided my time, I waited, I grew a little older, and I waited until the following summer for the next crazy golf day, but there wasn't one. Not that summer, not any of the summers after that. I heard someone's dad say in the company who ran the scheme had gone bust or something. So it was a genuine once in a lifetime opportunity I'd missed out on. I still had the opportunity to play crazy golf elsewhere, but I'm realizing this now looking back on it, it wasn't the game itself that I wanted so badly. It was the game under those specific set of circumstances. The game itself, take it or leave it. It's a little bit silly, truth be told. What I really wanted, really, really wanted, was to be the envy of other people. I wanted to be up there playing the game because I knew there'd have been a hundred sets of eyes on the other side of that window wishing they had what I had. Read into this what you will, but please don't be tempted to write this off as childishness because taken as a group, grown-ups aren't any better. They're a hundred times worse. Taken as a group, grown-ups have made envy into an art form. They've taken envy, a deadly sin according to some, and made it the centre of everything, the driving force behind consumer culture. School is simply the place where we're first introduced to the concept. But once again, I'll ask the question, what happens when you get what you want? When the thing you most desire is handed to you on a plate and suddenly everyone wants what you've got, you're no longer envious, right? Are you happy? No, of course you're not happy. Why would you be? You've been taught your entire life that you're not entitled to your heart's desire. You're not supposed to have nice things. You're supposed to be the guy who envies. That's your role in a society which thrives on envy. What would happen if people just stopped buying unnecessary things just to make themselves feel better? Economic ruin for one thing. There are basic socio-political reasons why dreams are unobtainable. They're designed that way but also they're constantly being dressed up to look obtainable and it becomes a form of double think. Is that why love is such a confusing thing? Is it something to do with the way it's marketed through fairy tales and pop songs and I don't know Richard Curtis films? It's something that's made to look really really simple and that, my friends, is the dictionary definition. Whenever you see a couple disappear off into their sunset of happy ever afters, it's purely and simply false advertising.
So I got the girl. We got together. Me and Heidi. We were lovers. We moved in together. We had fun together. We shared some truly magical moments. And this is something the marketing guys get wrong as well. When you're being sold the concepts of love through the rom-coms and the fairy stories, they're very big on the sunset stuff. The all you need to do is get together and everything after that will be fine. They're so busy selling you that idea that they end up completely underselling the best bits about real love, the shared experiences like long car journeys where you literally just sit next to each other not saying anything for hours on end or repainting the living room or eating together. That's actually the specific bit that gets unfairly edited out of any date scene in a restaurant. All you ever see is the dialogue. You never actually see the couple tucking into their food. And that's a real missed opportunity because for me, the most meaningful part of any dinner date is the moment at which you stop talking and start eating. Because surely that's how you tell if this person is a match for you. Can you silently and comfortably share this thrice daily ritual? Why do you think restaurants are such a popular venue for first dates? It's not just because, you know, you're on safe territory if your potential suitor turns out to be a psychopath. I mean, there is that. But you're testing each other out on how well you eat together. Because arguably, listeners, and please don't try to correct me if you think I'm wrong, culinary compatibility is more important than sexual compatibility. I could introduce you to many couples who no longer have sex. I'd struggle to find a couple who are still a couple but no longer eat together. You see, you know I'm right about this, I am. I'm right, I'm right about a lot of things, but this is the thing that I'm totally right about. I am. Anyway, as I was saying, I got the girl. And what I could have done was revel in the fact that I'd found myself the perfect woman. Revel in the fact that potentially every other man on the planet, you know, apart from gay men and the ones who had different interests and different aesthetic preferences to me, you know, not every other man on the planet wanted what I had, but some of them did. Surely somebody else must have wanted what I had. I knew these people existed, and the point is, I could have reveled in the fact that I had something they didn't. But I didn't feel that way. It didn't feel right to feel that way. What felt right was to constantly ask myself the question, why me? Why do I get to be with Heidi when there's other people out there with no one? And if these were the only internal questions I had to contend with, I'd have been fine, absolutely fine. I can live with a little self-doubt. I've been living with self-doubt since early childhood. Self-doubt and me get on like a house that's deliberately set itself on fire. We are inseparable. What I can't live with, and what I can't get on with at all, is jealousy. Yeah, I was jealous. 
As soon as Heidi skipped gleefully into my life, I was jealous of just about everyone. Because this for me is the distinction between envy and jealousy. Envy is being back in infant school, watching the older kids playing crazy golf and wanting to be them. Jealousy is being a grown up and having nice things and not wanting other people to have my nice things. It's looking over my shoulder at every man who's glanced in my girlfriend's direction and instead of enjoying the buzz of hey she's mine and not yours, no 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 no, instead of that it's like why is he looking at her like that and what if, what if he takes her from me? What if she goes off with that random stranger over there in the Superman t-shirt? And she doesn't even like superheroes. And she specifically thinks grown-ups who wear superhero t-shirts have what she likes to call serious mummy issues. Her opinion, don't shoot the messenger. Could that random stranger take Heidi off me? And would she prefer him anyway? Because they do say opposites attract. And maybe our problem is we were like too similar for our own good or am I just overanalyzing everything why do I need to overanalyze everything where does that come from is that from childhood or something is it because my parents genuinely never analyzed anything like they both just say the first thing that pops into their head whatever that happened to be they were too similar come to think of it that's why their marriage failed in the end I mean there's still a question mark over what happened with my father's disappearance? I mean, maybe he just died accidentally and no one found the body. It's just more likely that he did a runner because he was bored. And that's what Heidi's going to do as well, isn't it? She's going to find someone else or disappear one afternoon after claiming she's popping to the shops because she's far too good for me. You know what, I was supposed to be telling you a story, wasn't I? But I've rambled on for a little while and we're approaching the end of the episode now. I've got some tunes to play and I haven't actually started telling you the story yet. This has just been a kind of a preface for what comes next. So let's make this a two-parter, yeah? And in part two, I'll stop the rambling. I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you how and why... Me and Heidi broke up. I just got a little bit sidetracked with this thing with the crazy golf. I could elaborate still further on this, you know. It definitely happened. Definitely did. I can't find any evidence of it happening. Not in other people's memories. Not online. There's no record of any sports education providers from that period in history who supplied any kind of crazy golf package to primary schools. I even, and I know this sounds slightly obsessive, but I do like to do my research, listeners. I even contacted the school. But, you know, all the staff from the time have left or retired by now, and the secretary was very helpful, but they don't have admin records dating that far back. They weren't even computerized back in the day. You're just going to have to take my word for it. If there's anything that's properly implausible about this story is that when I first met Heidi she was reading a book by my favorite author Haruki Murakami while listening to something on her iPod which I assumed was something that would equally match my own tastes 
But wouldn't that have been a little bit too perfect, too coincidental even, that two people should get together who have the exact same taste in everything? Well, as I later discovered, she wasn't listening to something I would have liked. She was listening to the We Will Rock You soundtrack. But by the time I discovered that Heidi was a Queen fan, it was a little too late. I'd already made her into something she fundamentally wasn't. I'd made her into a fantasy woman who could do me no wrong even when she really wasn't being very nice to me. But let's talk about that next time. This is good stuff. We've struck upon something here. We're getting to the heart of something or other. Or not.
Thank you for listening. Listen out for the next episode of Ragbag. Episode 21 will, of course, be the Envy Edition Part 2. Watch out for that. Listen out for the bonus bags. They're all going well as well. Everything's going well. Even when we're discussing slightly tragic things that happen in life, it's all good. Visit frankburton.co.uk have a look at my book a history of sarcasm is very good definitely watch out for the next one which is coming very soon it's called 100 and is going to change your world 